you happen to be watching those, uh, uh, the pictures there of that group that was in Austin, I was so proud of those guys that went. You also saw Miss Dorothy sneak in there with the pictures. Stand up there, young lady. She, uh, from Arkansas, the, the governor of Arkansas was in town. And uh, she just went up there and told her about, uh, you know, the education system and, and kids that have some disability or handicap and, and their special needs that they are. And she just went right up and talked to the miss, to governor. And we appreciate Governor, governor Sanders very, very much for her work. I mean, no, we have, uh, in my opinion, great governors in Arkansas and Texas. Now, that doesn't mean that there couldn't be a better one, but both of them are Christians. Both of them are endeavoring the Christian life and advance, you know, what it means to be a Christian. Listen, if you've got your Bible, turn with me. Uh, if you're quick, go to Proverbs 24, and if you're a little slower, go to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, or, or you can look at both of them. But I'm going to conclude today a series that we've been doing uh, for quite a while now uh, called Building Relationships That Last a Lifetime. Now, how many know what it's like to have a broken heart after just a year or so or a few months or so in a relationship? I would say probably everyone in this room, particularly as we were young, many of us have known the pain of a broken relationship and divorce as we've grown older. Many of us have known the pain of, of a partnership falling apart. But we've been talking about what the Bible has to say to us about how to build lifetime relationships. If you were here last week, remember we, we saw what the Bible uh, said, four principles for having, listen now, a happy, fulfilling, and Christ-honoring marriage. If you're married and missed it, go back, pick it up. It's on our app. You can listen to it when you're driving to work or wherever. But tonight I want to close this series with what the Bible has to say to kids about how they're supposed to treat their parents and then how parents should raise their kids. Now, you may say, well, all my kids are grown. Well, that doesn't matter. You still have influence on this children, on, on, on children. This is a message that will appeal to everyone, whether you've got a fourth grader at home or whether you've got grandchildren or whether you're an uncle or an aunt, a school teacher or a coach. I mean, no, Christian or children need godly influence. They need it when they're little bitty. They need it when they're middle age, middle school. They need it all the way through high school. They need it through college. They need someone helping them stay on the narrow path to life. And I hope this message will help you in it. Last week, we, we began with Proverbs 24, 3. It says it takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. So if we want a good family that's strong, how many know that wisdom and that understanding comes from the word of God? Because how many know the one reason that our culture is falling apart and going insane is because they throw in the Bible away. They have thrown away the creator's gift to us about how to make life work better and, and what God thinks. So anyway, I hope you'll be blessed by it today. I've called it a happy home part two. Now, we're only going to look at a couple scriptures. We're going to look primarily at the words of Paul, and Paul didn't say a lot. He said three verses to children and one verse to, to parents, but specifically the father. And that's all Paul said. As we've said, said last week, the Bible is not a marriage manual, nor is it a parenting manual. There's some great books that you can read from Christian authors that talk about marriage and parenting. But if you will become a better Christian who lives by the Bible, you will be a better parent. 
If you will simply become a stronger Christian, deeply committed to the word in prayer, you'll be a better baseball coach. Now, I don't know if that means you'll win more games, but I think you've got a greater likelihood. But just by the fact that if I am growing in my relationship with God, my Christian life is, is, is becoming stronger, I'm going to just literally become better in everything I do. I'll become better in the way that I treat my enemies. How many can say there was a time that when I had an enemy, I was ready to give them the right hand of fellowship? Sure. And something changed as you grew into the Lord where the burden changed from them uh, uh, rather than you giving them what they deserve than praying for them. I was, I was looking, I've been doing a, 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 some social media posts lately, just a cool couple minute devotion on the major platforms. And one of them, I, I, I was talking about a drag queen show in a church in England. And it touched a, a button. And then, I mean, there were just thousands of people responding to it. And they, people were mocking me and laughing me at my poor views. One poor lady said, oh, sir, I'm just glad you're almost there. You're almost about to learn the great lessons of life. And rather than getting offended or my feelings hurt, I just began to just pray for them and just say, God bless them. Because there is an evolution in your outlook on life as you draw closer to God and as his word becomes deeply rooted in us. So again, this is not intended to be comprehensive about Paul's remarks to children or parenting, but we're going to spend more time on the parenting part. Now, if you're a child, this first part is, is, uh, is well, actually this first part is to all of us. How many know everyone in this room is a child? Now, you may be a 50-year-old child, I'm a 66-year-old child, but I'm still a child of my dad and my mother. So this will speak to all ages, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Three verses is all Paul gives us. Last week, he gave us about 11, 12, 13 verses on marriage. Today, he's going to give us three verses on children. He says, children do what? Obey your parents. So now I want to encourage you to listen today. If you are still living at home under your parents' authority, then I want to encourage you that this is speaking to you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that if my parents aren't a Christian, I don't have to obey them. But what it means is in the Lord means it's something that God expects of you. And when you as a child obey your parents, even if they say, turn the TV off and go to bed at nine o'clock. Well, I don't want to, but I'll do that because I'm obeying my parents in a way and that honors the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is what? Everybody say it again. Right. This is something missing in our culture today. This is the right thing to do. And then he shifts. He says, honor your father and mother and then he's going to go back to the old to the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise. He's quoting the fifth of Moses' Ten Commandments. And the promise was, if you will honor your father and mother, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. Now, how many can say, I want it to go well with me. I want to have a good life. I want to have a long life. You that don't. I, I, we're, we have plenty of pastors to do funerals, so if you're out of here the next week or two weeks, but I don't know about you, but I want to have a good life, a happy life. I want to live a long life. There's something about God created us, and one of the key things, God thought it was so important that he put it in the Bible and said, honor your mother and father. Now, we're going to come back to that. Uh, let's look at the definitions of the words. First, the word, um, uh, the word uh, obey. 
And again, here it's talking, and it's different, obey and honor. Obeying is those children that are living under the authority of their parents. Now, they could be three, they could be 13, or, you know, there's an argument about at what point you become an adult and take care of yourself, but there's some obedience that God expects. The word obey simply means to submit to authority. The parent is the authority in the home, delegated by God. And when we obey, we, com uh, we carry out a command or an instruction. So obedience is simply doing what I'm told to do. Now, let me ask you a question. How many in the room can say, I like to obey? Raise your hand. How many can say, I'd rather not obey? See, 10, 15% honest people in the room. I watch you drive sometimes. It doesn't matter what the speed limit is. It doesn't matter if the light was yellow going into red. I mean, we have this sense of self that just wants what the world taught us, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the greatest uh, ambition of life should be self-actualization, which is simply doing what you want to do, becoming who you want to become. And sometimes obedience slaps against it. But yet the Bible says obedience to a for a child is submission to a parent. Now listen, as God's delegated spiritual authority. And as a Christian teenager, as a Christian child, when I obey my parents, for example, it's the nine o'clock bedtime, or maybe they look at the apps on your phone and said, this is not a good one. I don't want you on whatever, TikTok or whatever it may be. And you may have a little pushback, but if your parent has your best interest in mind, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. And I know I'm talking to the choir here because there's not very many children here, but uh, the parent is the, uh, 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 God's delegated authority. Now, clearly, just like the wife is not supposed to submit to her husband, if her husband tells her to do something immoral or illegal, same thing with children. If your dad tries to get you to help him sell drugs, I wouldn't do it. If your dad says, you know, take a gun to school, and, or, or, or I don't know, he had a fight in school, and dad's advice is take a knife with you tomorrow and give him a little love poke. That's not Bible. You've got to decide if you're going to be a Christian. So sometimes this happens. And again, this sermon cannot in, in a few minutes answer all the different, you know, what ifs that are out there. But there's something important if Paul, would, the great apostle, would feel it important enough when addressing family to tell children's to, children to obey and then to honor. Now, this word honor, it means to show respect and to give recognition but particularly this, it includes action of honoring. For example, providing help to your parents. Now, there's a shift when we're young and under our parents' authority, we obey. When, our parent, when we grow older and become adults, we may not obey our parents, but we honor our parents all our days. There's a transition in adulthood where you become more accountable to God. But this, uh, this uh, uh, honoring, it sometimes means financial assistance or caring for parents in their old age. 
I'm watching my wife do this now with her mom and dad, and her humility and sacrifice inspires me. I watch Miss Dorothy when Miss Isabel grew older, and Pat Stewart when her mom was growing older. I watch them take care of their aging parents. Well, this is biblical. First Timothy chapter four, 5, verse 4 says, and he's talking about a widow in particular, but he says, if she has children or grandchildren... Their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. Now, there are times and places where nursing homes are appropriate, where, where some specialized care is needed. But how many know it's not the government's responsibility ultimately to care for my mother and father? It is my responsibility. It is not the government's responsibility to hire a chaplain, to hire a nurse, to go and see them, whatever the case may be. I mean, no, just as mom and dad cared for me when I was young, I'm supposed to do what I can to care for them when I'm old. You say, what if they don't live with me? That's why God made cell phones. You say, my parents don't, if your parents text, text them a lot. If they don't text, call them, send them pictures. But something to honor and to share and to, uh, to show that. Again, obedience primarily to young children. Honor is lifelong when we become adults. And again, all this is a part of our submission to Christ. How many know when you're sacrificing? For example, I don't know, maybe your, your mom needs a little financial help. She's divorced. She's widowed. And I don't know what, her refrigerator goes out. Well, how many know you need a refrigerator and she doesn't have quite enough money, but you were going to spend that money on a new turkey gun. Come on now. Or the sale at Dillard's or wherever. Sometimes there's a little sacrifice. I'm speaking, uh, speaking a little better than you're amening this evening. But this is good Bible. Now, let's get to the heart of the message. And unfortunately, if you're here and uh, uh, you are at home, uh, that's all I'm going to share with you from Paul. And, but we have a great youth pastor, Pastor Cole. We have great kid zone pastors uh, uh, that are in there that can help you work through problems and issues and can sit down with you, you know, about all the, the questions that I have created by this just one verse. Now, uh, what did Paul say to parents? And Paul only said one thing. And I'm, well, actually, he said two things in it, but one verse. And we're going to look at that verse and look at what I'm going to call three parenting priorities from this one verse. But again, if it was in, this was important to the Apostle Paul, I want to make it foundational in my life, just like the principles for marriage for last week. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Now, he's not dissing the mom or ignoring the mom. You remember last week we saw when Paul introduced this subject saying that the husband was the head of the home. Well, when we think head of the home, what do we think as Americans? Boss. That is not what the Bible is talking about. How many know Jesus gave us the example of servant leadership? Remember when the disciples, you know, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified and he's washing the disciples' feet. 
I mean, there's a servant leadership that should characterize the head of the home. For the, for the father to be the head of the home means that he is ultimately responsible for his home, to care for them with their financial needs, their spiritual development, and their discipline. This does not exclude the role of the mother, but he is being consistent in what he's teaching. So fathers, uh, and I think reasonably mothers, and today maybe a grandmother is raising her child. Or maybe you're raising a foster child. Or maybe you're raising someone else's child. It's complicated in our world today. In the, in, in the biblical era, families were much more tight-knit. In the biblical era, there was not this mobility that set in where they're living all over the country. Typically, they would oftentimes even share a life under the same roof. And there was just a closeness that was there. The grandparents was there to be the babysitter. You didn't have to pay. What do they charge for an hour of a babysitting now? Too much? All right. Well, not if you're the babysitter. But here's what he said. First thing he said, it has to do with their emotional development and your, and your parenting style recognizing this. Don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Now, that's not saying if you caught your child watching porn or something on the phone that you don't take the phone away and they get angry and mad and you give it back. It's not what we're talking about here because kids are going to get angry at mom and dad. Come on. How many can say, I did when I was a teenager? How many can say, when I was a teenager, I knew much more than my parents? Yeah, see, so we're on the same board here. But this, this word, provoke your children to anger, it means to irritate them. And listen to this, to cause them to resent you by unreasonable demands. Uh, it means petty rules, showing favoritism. So that's the first thing, their emotional development. He says, rather, and here's number two, uh, bring them up with the discipline or the training and instruction that comes from the Lord. A lot of these things that are producing anger, these unreasonable demands are simply coming from dad wanting somebody to, I don't know what, do something that they shouldn't be doing because he didn't want to do it. But here it's saying, and we're going to separate these two, discipline and instruction. Um, Paul said two things to fathers and parents, and here's kind of where we're going to, we're going to get in the heart of the message. First is to recognize your child's personality, their emotional state, and their ability. Because sometimes we try to push our children too hard for things they cannot do. Sometimes we use demeaning words. Just because you were a super athlete doesn't mean your child is going to be a super athlete. Just because you excelled in chemistry doesn't mean your child is going to excel in chemistry or whatever the case is. Just because you love gardening doesn't mean your child loves two hours pulling weeds. I think a little weed pulling would be good for every child, though. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But, but anyway, uh, we can push too hard, demeaning words, criticize uh, to the point that the child is frustrated. Now, I'm going to show you a little video that, that exemplifies how not to parent a child, in this case, a teenager. You'll remember this. It was from a movie, Friday Night Lights. I showed it. It was about a football team in West Texas, a true story. But it was about how a dad treated his son who fumbled the football. Now, we saw this same video clip, just a minute, when we taught on the power of our words and we listened to dad's words but I want you to now think about the dad's action 
and how it did exactly what Paul said, don't produce this kind of frustration in your children. Take a little peek at this, at this dad. Are you sure he's part of your gene pool, Charlie? Been alert, been alert, everybody. What about the expectations of coaching a team like this in a community like this? Well, I guess there's always a surprise or two in every community. Ball, just concentrate on hanging on the ball. Both hands, okay? Hey, both hands. That's all. Hey, come here. Come here. What's the problem? Get off the field, Dad. Why can't you hold on the football? Tell me why you can't do it. Just tell me. That's all I want to know. I'll try better next time. Come on. Hey. Walk away from me. You walk away from me when I'm talking to you. You hear me? Tell me why you can't hold on to the ball. Come on, Mr. Bill. Answer a question. First day of practice, Mr. Bill. Hold on. Seriously. Charlie. Embarrassing me out here. All right. All right. Dad won a state championship when he played high school football. He wanted to motivate his child to do the same thing, but how many know he went about it the wrong way? How do you think that child, that, this is a, a 17, 18-year-old boy, how do you think he felt? He felt embarrassment. He felt shame. He felt anger. He felt all those things that Paul's saying we're not to do and produce in our children. You know, any good coach, including a parent, you know, you want to provoke that kid. You want them to stretch. You want them to do better than they've done before. But that's not the way to do it. And that's probably the best visual example I could give you of what not to do when it talks about your child's emotional state because children are so vulnerable. Um, parents, number two, are called to shape a child's spiritual development. Now, this is the heart of the message. Paul told us what to do, but not how. Doesn't that frustrate you sometimes when somebody just tells you what to do and you don't know how to do it? It may be clear and simple to them, but it's not so clear and simple to you. I want to try to make it practical to you. Because again, in Ephesians 4, what Paul said, it says, bring them up in the discipline or the training and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, what does that mean? That means teach them about God in the Bible and train them to live a life that pleases the Lord. That's basically what Paul is saying in that part of the verse. Teach your kids about the Bible. Uh, uh, and this is not just your children under your roof. I was talking to someone today that cared deeply about education in our city and the failure of some of our schools to graduate kids that can even read and find a job. One of the most missing things in our culture today, and of course it's because of the breakdown of the family, and he said, hey, would your church even consider maybe doing some after-school reading programs? You know, there's a lot of these kids that even Governor Sanders said, I'm setting aside money to help schools be able to give kids extra capacity to read because if they can read, they can have a successful life. Well, this is, this is kind of what we're, we're saying here is it's not just mom and dad who are raising children. If you have influence, it could be a volunteer ministry for kids. It could be something you're doing at Grace House. You could be a coach. You could be a teacher in an elementary school. There is influence for children that many of us have 
that we can apply this to and to bring them in the instruction or the training of the Lord. This idea of, of, of training them, it's just like being trained to be an athlete. How many of you know when you take a young kid, remember, remember when your kids played t-ball? It was a little bit agonizing, I got to say. I mean, th- th- they may be on third base looking at the bird flying over. Or they may swing four times and hit the tee every time. And then on the fifth time, they hit the ball. But how many know that's just where you start? And you train them to where one day some of those kids turn out to be professional baseball players. Some of them get full scholarships to go to college. Some of them are so great in high school, they have their choice of girlfriends. You understand what I'm talking about today? But they have to be trained. And in a similar way, children have to, grandchildren have to be trained to be godly, to know this discipline, this instruction. Well, let me, let me read you one more scripture and then get some practical. Because again, Paul tells us what to do, but not how to do it. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul now writes to the uh, two to, uh, to women. Uh, and he said, uh, he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And mind you, Timothy is going to be the one that takes over Paul's apostolic mission to the whole world. Because Paul is going to be killed in Rome, and somebody's got to make the church go forward. Well, Timothy's one of the main ones. Paul writes to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. Now, this is particularly complicated because Timothy's dad was a Greek. He was not a Christian. He was not a believer. So he didn't have the benefit of two Christian parents. He had a godly mom and a godly grandfather that taught them the Bible and taught them how to live for God and put something in Timothy that would literally change his life. They instructed him. They trained him so Paul could take him to the next level, groom him as an adult, what do you ever want to call, pastor, teacher, apostle, and then he could lead the church. He said, I'm sure this faith dwells in you. So the question, though, is, once again, how did they do it? What did they do to take this young kid and turn him into a world changer? Well, (laughs) the Bible didn't tell us. But I want to give you some suggestions from experience about how you can practically do this for your children. And I'm going to give you three things here. What can you do, what can I do to help influence a child in terms of their spiritual instruction in the Lord, in terms of becoming a committed Christian, rather than ending up in jail, ending up, I don't know what, behind a pulpit or behind a business that like Hobby Lobby that gives millions of dollars to Christian causes. What can we do? Well, here's the first one. And arguably, I think it's the most important because what comes to mind is we just say, well, make them go to church. Well, how many know that's just like making them stand up in church? You can be standing up on the outside, but sitting down on the inside. So here's what I think is the most important parenting thing. Help them experience a personal relationship with Jesus. Teach them how to walk with him daily. Now, there's some things to do like church that you want to enforce, that you want to bring them to, but you're concerned more about your child's heart. Because you want to develop something inside them, a personal relationship with God. How I many know there's a difference than talking about a distant God or the man upstairs than it is to talking to Jesus? 
in your prayers. It's different. Jesus said this in Matthew 19, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So what does this mean? That means Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with your children. And that's the, and that's the one thing you can't control. I remember one of my kids, uh, when we were at the other church building, they were younger, sitting next to me on the front row. Well, here I am, the pastor, and the worship leader just told us to clap our hands, and I said, clap your hands. Well, they were clapping on the outside because Dad said so, but their hands were in their pockets, were on the inside. What do I mean here? You have to lead your child. Well, they say you lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You have to lead your child to Jesus, but then let them choose. You cannot save your own child. Your child has to come to that place in their life when they invite Christ in their life. You can't push it on them too quickly. You can't push them into the baptism tank too quickly. Something has to come from their own hearts. Otherwise, if you just inoculate them with religious form... They think they're fine, and they think they're believing in Jesus when they're living like the devil. And what's missing? They have religious knowledge. It's like a traditional vaccine. They've been vaccinated with a little Jesus, but they live like the devil in the world. You say, well, how do I help them do that, Pastor? How do I help them have this personal relationship? I'm glad you asked me. And what I think is the most important is to teach them to have a daily devotion time with the Lord. Now, church is important, powerhouse is important, but the most important is their daily time with God. And you know, your young child needs it as much as your teenager needs it, as much as you and I need it. Two big things in this, reading the Bible and praying. Now, I think reading the Bible, our children were taught to read with the Bible. They went through phonics classes, which I highly advocate as learning how to read. They went through phonics, but we bought a little picture Bible. Uh, my little Mia now, she's a year and a half, and she knows how to say Bible. Now, she, we just look at the pictures, and I, and, I, and I preach the pictures, if that makes sense, and she flips the pages. But when, when my children got a little younger, wherever you start learning to read, preschool, first grade, wherever that, where all that starts, we'd get this little Bible and we would sound out words and it's the most laborious thing I've ever done in my life. G, 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 Jesus, Jesus said to, and we would kind of go through that rhythm. And before you know it, they're starting to read little on their own. They read a line and dad reads a line. They read a page, dad reads a page. And then dad says, I want you to read this and I'll be back in a few minutes and then let's talk about what you read. I'm telling you, friends, we live in a secular world that will lead your children into a ditch with a bottomless pit. The world has gone insane. And Jesus said, you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, your word, O God, is truth. And that's what you're doing. And you're giving them not only a moral foundation, but you're giving them truth. And the second thing, reading the Bible, is prayer. So when your kids, I don't care how young they are. Right now, again, me a little over a year and a half, 
and, 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 and she's ready to eat. And when she's ready to eat, she's ready to eat. That is not the time to pray for the missionary. It's, it's hard enough to get her to bow her little hands, and you've got to kind of clam your hands around them sometimes. Jesus, thank you for my food. And by the time you said Jesus, she's already said men. But she's learning at her little age how to pray. Now, listen, when your kids get a little older, though, this is super-duper important. Teach them how to talk to God. Prayer is not, listen, as important as the Lord's Prayer, it's not just to be recited in rote. Teach them how to talk to God. Teach them how to pour out their feelings to God. They already know to ask God for what they want. Teach them to pour out their feelings. And listen, if they mess up or if they sin, let's say they do something that's wrong. Let's say they stole some candy from a store. And you found out and you made them give the candy back. Well, when you get home that night, you get on your knees. You want to teach them to ask God for forgiveness, not just the store manager. Because their sin is a sin against God first. And then against us. This forms relationship through the Bible and prayer. And arguably that could be the most important thing I could tell you. But the third thing I would say about raising these godly kids is their need for Christian friends. Because the bottom line, kids are going to become like their peers. They're going to become like their fellowship circle on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or whatever. I mean, they're going to become like their peers. And that is why, in my opinion... The, the kid zone, the powerhouse is so important to have your children there. And let me tell you this, it is not convenient. When I looked at what the youth camp cost, I thought to myself, I'm glad I don't have a kid. But you know what? The church makes zero money off of it. We pay for oftentimes, some of the time, the gas. And if the bus breaks down, we have to get it fixed. It's just what life costs, but you're, it's worth it. Kids had been transformed. When Pastor Travis was the youth pastor, kids would come back transformed from that trip. Pastor Cole now, he brings those kids down there. They're witnessing on the beach in Florida. They're not just looking at the girls in the bikinis. Are you with me today? It takes something to invest in. But did you, in case you hadn't thought of this, in our culture today, now look, when I was a kid, when I was in the first grade, the principal would come on the loudspeaker first thing in the morning, and he would read the Bible and pray. Well, that's not happening anymore today. Wednesday night was a sacred night, and you would never play a ball tournament on a Sunday. But look at today's world. Wednesday, forget that. And the weekend, you know, you may wonder sometimes where Pastor Travis is. Well, I'm wanting him to be a good dad too, so now he's able to be with his kids more and be a coach more. And you, you, you understand because it just happens on the weekend. And he tells me he has little chapel services, not just for his kids, but he uses the baseball experience for other parents to have chapel services. Church involvement is the only Christian influence in society today to help you raise godly kids. Unless you're in things like a homeschool network or have a Christian teacher, there's nothing in our culture and society that upholds Christian values, and I encourage you to get your kids involved in that. Here's a promise, if you will. It's Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. And I am living testimony to that. Mom made me go to, to Sunday school when I was a kid. Jew, you got 
taught me John 3, 16. I live like a little wild hellion, 16, 17, 18, and 19. And one day the Holy Spirit dealt with my heart, and I didn't have to question whether it was Buddha or Mohammed. Come on. I already knew who uh, John 3, 16. I already knew that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Give the Lord a good hand there. I must be enjoying this because I'm a little behind, so I'm going to have to speed it up. The second parenting priority, the first one was bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord, but there's another word that's there, the discipline of the Lord, and this is the training. Now, hear me in this. Children need to be taught about boundaries, consequences, and authority. It's the word discipline. Proverbs 19:18 uh, says, discipline your children while there is hope. Once they're in jail for a 20-year sentence for something, there's not much hope. Discipline them while there's hope. Otherwise, you're going to ruin their lives. If you let your children run wild and you don't stop them, you'll ruin their lives. Proverbs 13 says, if you spare the rod of discipline, you hate your children. Oh, no, I would never tell my children, no, I want them to have freedom of expression and, and freedom to choose and make choices. Baloney. Give them some of it, but keep them on the right path when they get off of it. It says those who love their children care enough to discipline them. What is discipline? It is correction or punishment that is intended to correct a wrong action. It is training that corrects, molds, and perfects moral character. It is up to you. Discipline is based on the premise that there is right and wrong behavior, and wrong behavior or sin has consequences not only in this life but the world to come. The purpose of discipline, and hear this one, is threefold. It is to help children respect authority, ultimately God's. It is to teach children the, uh, the difference between right and wrong, and it's to teach them there's consequences when they do wrong. And that's what our discipline is. American society has lost restraint and encourages rebellion. Amen. Did you watch the ride of the teenagers in Chicago? You should go back and look at some of that video. Hundreds of teenagers ransacking the town, ransacking the stores, stealing. And the mayor-elect basically said, they're just poor kids and they're going to get okay and they're going to be better. Those kids need discipline. And based on the severity of their action determines the level of discipline that should come. But what's happening? It's not being taught in the home. Come on now. They're not a part of a church. Many of them don't have fathers at home who are supposed to be initiating discipline. And mom's doing the best she can to put food on the table. But somehow we must find a way. A parent is the first line of authority. I had an, uh, a man, uh, I consider an educated man, told me something I did not know. But he said uh, a little over 300 people in New York City commit 30% of the crime. 8 million people, 30%, oh, a little over 300 commit 30% of the criminal activity. And they keep letting them on the street because they say that they're victims. Nonsense. Somebody needs to teach discipline and justice and it is the purpose first of the home second the church and third of civil government to restrain evil in the heart of man because one day we're going to stand before God and give an account for our lives come on that parent is the first line 
The church is the second. Civil authority is the third. The police. And lastly, God's authority. They're going to stand before the Lord. I remember my son one time. I think it was a speeding ticket. And he had to go before Judge Hoot Hathaway. And did anybody ever know Hoot Hathaway? Well, I went in there with him. And uh, it was this little speeding ticket, and Hoot and I shot the breeze for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, the tone of the room changed, and I wanted to leave my son in there and get out of there (laughs) because Hoot was trying to scare the dickens out of him. He was trying to make him realize there's consequences for your behavior, and if you have to stand before me again, this is what I'm going to do to you. Worked in his life. (laughs) Discipline of children takes many forms. Uh, Timeouts work. Uh, Withholding something they enjoy is a big one. My daughter Rebecca, when she would do something wrong, well, her mom would say, you're not going to watch TV tonight. And she literally would beg, please spank me, please spank me, please. You've just found your form of discipline. Other ones couldn't give a rip about TV, but maybe their phone when they get older. Maybe the car keys. You say, well, they're an adult. No, they're not. They're still under your authority. And if they're acting crazy, you need to stop them. Here's the last one. Spanking young, defiant children. Now, you research this on Google about spanking kids. The first this many responses you're going to get is modern psychology and modern education says that it is not the thing to do. And we've got this longitudinal study and all that. You need to keep digging deeper. Let me tell you what a pediatrician and the former president of the American College of Pediatricians. Now, let that sink in just a second. This was more of a traditional Christian approach. The American College Pediatricians, Dr. Den Trumbull, offer this advice who parents, for parents who choose to, disfank, to spank a defiant young child when time out and reasoning don't work. When your child messes up, the first thing is not to give them a slap. I would never use my hand to discipline my children. If I was going to give them a swat, I would use a wooden spoon because the hand is for loving. Have you ever seen a dog when somebody did that and that dog just cowered? I don't want my kids. This hand is for caressing and loving. But he says a parent should never spank in anger. It should always happen in private. You do it in the Walmart parking lot and CPS will come after you. It should happen in private with one or two swats to the bottom and be followed by a loving embrace and a review of the offense. And then in nighttime prayers, we ask God to forgive us. Say what you want. Work for me. Work for my kids. Let me wrap it up. Uh, We're still in Ephesians 6.14. We're talking about biblical instruction. And I want you to stay with me on this one. Teach them to live with eternity in mind. Teach them to live with eternity in mind. Our culture has taught us to live for the moment, to do what you feel, to have little thought of the consequences. Now, I actually shared this scripture with both the kids on Wednesday night and the youth in Powerhouse, but it's the words of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was known as the wisest man on the face of the earth. He was the king, so he had power, he had money, 
He had influence. He built great buildings and great structures. He tried to find happiness every way he could, and he had the power and the ability to do it. But after he wrote this whole book of Ecclesiastes, here's what he said. And I want you to listen to this. The end of the matter. In other words, I've looked at the way you should live your life. He said this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this, and this is huge, the whole duty of man. Why? For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. So what are you trying to tell me today, preacher? I'm telling you, you need to teach your children not just to live for the day, or their jobs, or their careers, or the vacation, but you're to teach them to live in a way because they're going to stand before God one day and give an account for their lives. And they need to realize it early. This is why the Ten Commandments were so important in schools. And do you realize last week the Texas Senate passed a bill to post the Ten Commandments in Texas classrooms? Now, that's a good thing. But there's a lot of signs that are up there that you can ignore. What did the Ten Commandments do in the history of the world? It taught the world, number one, there is a God. It taught the world, number two, there are boundaries and consequences that just like Adam and Eve, when you defy those consequences, uh, you will one day be judged. Why do you think kids are carrying uh, guns into school? I had a parent tell me, I won't name the school or the school district, but they said they have found five guns on campus this semester. What is missing? What is happening? These kids have no sense. Their songs are about violence. Their rap songs are about violence. Their TV is about violence. Their video games are about killing. And it's monkey see, monkey do. I'm telling you, friends, the end of the matter, teach them. I taught my kids when they were young. It was a saying by John Maxwell, if you've ever heard of him. And Maxwell would prepare you for your career. Here's what he said, and this is worth listening to. Pay now, play later. Play now, pay later. But one day you got to pay. So what he's saying, do the hard work first, and then you can drive the nice car later. Do the hard work, do the education first, and then you can have big house, big screen TV. Now, as important as that is for a career, how much more important that we teach our kids to live with eternity in mind? Because once they get the new truck, they're going to spill ketchup on it, and it's going to become an old truck with high mileage anyway. But when you're living each day to stand before God, come on now. And you've taught them about it on their knees. And you've helped them memorize the good book. I'm telling you, friends, it will make a difference in children. And it is never too late to influence a child, even if you have to take a teenager and say, get on your knees with mom or dad. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. I'm going to close with this thought, and then we'll have a prayer. Uh, I mentioned this the first message in the series about our words. What we say to our family members will determine how happy our home is. Uh, the Proverbs eighteen twenty one says, words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. The King James, New King James says, life and death is in the 
power of the tongue. You know three things I think every child needs to hear. And every, your, your spouse, everybody that's important to you, they need to hear you say, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? If you don't walk away with anything else tonight, walk away with those three phrases for people you love. I love you, and they need to hear it. I'm proud of you, and I did something wrong. I'm sorry, would you forgive Dad? I make it a point today. My children are all out of the house. They're grown. But I make it a point virtually every time I text them or talk to them, they'll hear Dad say, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Because they live in a world that is just <laughs> telling them they're nothing, they're no good, they're nobody. They're on the B team, not the A team. Come on. They didn't make cheerleader. They got a zit on their nose and they're ugly. I love you. I'm proud of you. And I was wrong. Would you forgive me? If you will sow these words into your family, your family will be stronger. It will be happier and you'll have a happy home. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. He's worthy of praise.